0: At this time I'd like to read a couple passages of Scripture. The first one is in Numbers, chapter twenty-one, be verses four to nine. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And our second passage is from John chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. God, as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so Christ was lifted up. And we are dying in our sins until we look to Jesus that was lifted up on the cross, who lived perfectly and died taking on our sins and was buried and rose again to adopt us into the family of God, to see us regenerated, to atone for us, to make us justified in the sight of God. Father, I pray that we would look to Jesus today and that we would look continually, that we would not complain, but we would count our blessings daily. Father, as you have provided for us, I pray that you would bless as we give back to you in worship and in gratitude and with a sweet spirit as you provide everything We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.
1: Welcome, again. If you're visiting with us this morning, I would like to say that we are glad to have you with us. We have been going through a particular series these last few weeks, of which this is week four on the Reformation and the so-called solis of the Reformation and last week was the message on faith saved by faith alone and this week our subject is christ solus christos saved by faith alone in christ john chapter 14 familiar words to you i hope words of tremendous comfort john 14 verse 1 says this let not your hearts be troubled Like that's not a common occurrence, right? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Like that's not a struggle sometimes, right? So simple. Believe. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, help us, I pray, in the presence of these God-breathed words to be helped and encouraged. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The basic idea this morning is that faith has an object. Faith has a a single object, object. A solitary object. And only one object. And that is Christ. We're saved by christ alone through faith alone faith is an instrument we're not saved by faith we're saved through faith in christ faith has an object christ is entirely foreign to us outside of us beside us not attached to us unless we have an instrument by which to lay hold of him and that instrument is faith but faith is just that. It is only an instrument. We're not saved in faith. We don't trust in our faith. It's not faith in faith. If I came to you with a as a starving person with a with a can of beans and I said, "I got some food for you." And I said, "Well, I have I have no instruments." That's what it's like to have knowledge of Christ without faith. Faith is the instrument by which we lay hold, which we believe, which we address our trust. As the scriptures say so clearly, so plainly, believe in me. It's the instrument by which which does lay hold of something that is entirely sufficient, but who alone is sufficient to save us. And it is Christ. Faith has an object. A sole, solitary, single object, and it is Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, the only path to the Father. The reason why this was such a big deal 500 years ago wasn't because of Rome, necessarily. The reason why it's still such a big deal today is because not something Romish, but of something human. There are prevailing winds within the soul that blow us to misdirect our faith to lay hold of something other than its intended object. You know what those prevailing winds of the soul are like? You know what a prevailing wind is like you ever go somewhere on a motorcycle I hope you all have but maybe on a boat or an airplane or or something like that and there's the prevailing winds and and they will want to make you go a particular direction unless you are determined to stay a particular path and that's what the prevailing winds of the soul are like that are always there directing us that our faith would lay hold as its object of something other than Christ and it's no coincidence because the devil likes that. He's a very good puffer. And he makes those winds to blow very, very well in our souls. And he pride, he, he, he blows those winds to stoke our pride. Any of you have pride? He blows those winds to stoke our insecurities. Any of you have insecurities? I sure do. I have all of these things. I've wrestled with them tremendously over the years that was a big deal for Luther and he came to understand through the scripture he came to understand through something God breathed not just out of his own imagination but but wrestling with the scripture that sainthood in other words being made holy that's what the word sainthood means saints just means holy ones That sainthood wasn't something conferred by the church in Rome. Sainthood was something conferred by Jesus alone. And that's why Jesus is the object of our faith. Because Jesus alone makes saints. He alone makes the pathway to the Father. And it's not just for people in cardinal's hats. It's not for people with monk caps. It's not for people who have the reputation of being righteous and holy. It's for everybody who would look. For the most common peasant, Luther said, for for absolutely anybody in whatever circumstances in which they are, if they will lift their eyes and look. And that's why that, that story from Numbers is such an important story for us to have embedded into our imagination and how we think about ourselves and the things of God and faith. It's such a, 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 an amazing thing that Jesus did what nobody else would dare to do. Nobody else would dare to call Jesus that serpent in the wilderness. And Jesus does it himself. He says, I will be lifted up. And I am just like that serpent in the wilderness. I am that serpent. And this is what you have to do. You have to look. Look unto me, Isaiah forty-five. Look unto me, and be saved. And so here's the main point that I would like you to take home with you today. If you don't get anything else, I would like you to at least get this: that that faith is the single and the sole instrument by which the sinner lays hold of Jesus alone as the one who creates saints from sinners to bring us to the Father. Followed by three simple points. That sainthood is a gospel proclamation. It is a gospel reality. It is a reality created through proclamation, not by our perfection. It is something that is is declared about us it is true about us not because we feel it but because God has said it that's what faith lays hold of secondly that there's real spiritual danger when we get confused about the gospel reality that is proclaimed to us about Jesus dangers for the soul and finally that it is it is a real truth that creates real lives, real lives that, that don't no longer have to wear masks and, and pretend. So to begin, Jesus is a saint maker. Jesus makes holy ones. There is one all-encompassing biblical reality that keeps driving us. To this truth as much as as we've tried to find ways around it as much as as we've tried to create machinate machinations religious machinations all kinds of of institutions as much as we've tried to change things that we know to be true about God in order to find some other way around it Jesus is the only path to holiness he is a saint maker And the driving reality behind that is this, a reality that can never be changed. It is the holiness of God himself. It is a reality that will never change. It is a reality that establishes how we can even think about a path to the Father. I was out for a walk yesterday down towards the beach near my house, and the city had put in a really nice drain ditch for the water that's flowing everywhere these days to go down through these nice big rocks to make it down to the water and they put a nice path beside it but the water decided that it didn't want to go where they put the nice big rocks and it completely washed the path out so there's there's no path there anymore and i thought you know stupid water (laughs) you know if i if i could just if i could just change the nature of of gravity if I could just alter, you know, and just. Well, <laughs> you see how silly that is. People feel exactly that way about God. If we could just, if we could just alter some realities, then we could create religion that is much more man pleasing and, and encourages my pride a lot more. Holiness is a reality. Of the very nature of god i I don't know i don't know how people get it into their heads that it would be an, an improvement of god to imagine him as a god who overlooks sin think about it for a moment do you really want a god who overlooks sin what would you say to people who've lost their entire congregation to a mass shooter. What would you say to that funeral that's going on right right now this morning in Abbotsford, to the victims of, of horrendous crime, what would you do with the book of Revelation, just pick it up and throw it away? Do you want a God who casts his justice aside, all for the sake of our pride? And yet, as evangelicals, we have this tendency to domesticate God, and it's because we've drifted from the gospel see the gospel isn't merely only a message that is proclaimed on on in 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 religious circumstances and asks people to respond at the front the gospel is a reality that changes our life daily it's our daily bread it's our bread and butter each and every moment and how we think about ourselves before a holy god it's our identity day by day It's what creates the substance which bears the evidence of holiness in our own life. The gospel is this, that Jesus saves us, and we must look to him. Luther had a very interesting phrase. He says there's two kinds of righteousness. One is a, an alien righteousness and the other is a righteousness that, that we learn to live out. But first and foremost, in, in thinking about how is it that I can think about being before God, he had this phrase that has been very helpful for me over the years, and, an alien righteousness. And of course, for Luther, that just meant you know, somebody from Spain or, or uh, somebody from another country who, who wasn't a part of that particular culture. But the word alien, I don't know what... What would come into your mind when I say the word alien now? But just let that sink in for a sec, something, something alien. And that's what Luther described about the righteousness of Christ. For us, it is entirely outside of us. It is 100% objective, outside that we simply look to and believe an alien righteousness. It belongs to Christ alone. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the righteousness of God. For those who live from faith to faith, the righteous will live by faith. This is what faith does. It it looks to Christ as one who alone can make us holy. You know, a lot of people say, well, boy, I couldn't possibly think of myself as a saint. Paul says over and over again in his epistles, to the saints, to the holy ones, to those chosen by God, holy and beloved. To deny that you are a saint isn't modesty, it's unbelief. It isn't humility it's a self-centered conceit that refuses to look to christ and look to christ alone i've been listening to a series by dr albert moeller going through the bible in the book of exodus recently on the ordination of aaron and the priests in the old testament and i've found it a very very helpful story to understand the salvation in christ The intricate preparation with which Aaron and his sons were prepared to go into the Holy of Holies they were covered from head to toe their head was covered their shoulders were covered everything about them was covered their 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 feet was covered and everything that they wore including their representation of the tribes of Israel to go into the Holy of Holies covered the man Aaron but everything that he wore was smeared with blood And God is very, very precise. Do not go into the Holy of Holies unless you are prepared in this particular way. And it all had to do with each component, each part of Aaron's dress that covered him completely was smeared with blood to make him ceremonially clean. He didn't feel clean. He was made clean. And he went into the Holy of Holies. And Aaron was still Aaron. He was still an impure man. He was still imperfect. He was still defiled. But he went into the Holy of Holies safe because he wore what God gave him. He was covered. You know, and I'm emphasizing one of two tracks this morning, aren't I? There's there's two tracks at the train of our of our our religious experience goes on and i'm emphasizing the, the 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 one track this morning of how we trust in christ alone for our righteousness and the other track of course would be when aaron left the holy of holies he didn't go out and say well now i'm free to do whatever i want isn't that great god has forgiven all of my sins and then even as an impure person i was safe in the presence of god therefore i can rely on that and just go do whatever i want and god judged israel for that very kind of thinking of blaspheming god no the whole point of that first track of our religious experience, to look to Christ, to lay hold of him, to simply believe and empty ourselves of of the the, the pride and the desire to look within ourselves for something that would present us before God acceptable, leads us to the awe, leads us to the fellowship with God, leads us to the vision of God, where Aaron is to to leave the tent and say, I will sin no more. I have seen the glory of God. I belong to him. I am his possession. And that is the second rail. And we need both of them in our lives. One doesn't work very well. You know what a train with one track is like? Our our fruit is broken if we just have one. Sainthood isn't an examination of our works, it's a gospel declaration of this alien righteousness and it's received solely by looking to Christ. Imagine if Abraham Lincoln had gone into the south, the places of slavery and said, here you go good news, I've got rifles I've got swords, I've got pitchforks go and make yourself free no, he went with a declaration, he went with a document of emancipation and said, you are free but many people think that's how religion works where God simply gives us the stuff, here you go Stands back, folds his hands and says, do your best, show me, impress me. I love the story of David and Goliath. And the thinking in our mind, we don't need a co-worker for salvation, we need a champion. David was a champion. He didn't go back to Saul and say, well, I've started a good fight. You know, he gave Saul the victory. And he gave him the head of Goliath and said, the victory is yours. It belongs to you. You've done absolutely nothing to set your own people free, but I've done it for you. And the point of the story isn't to be like David. The point of the story is that David is like Christ. He's our champion. There's real spiritual danger if these things are confused in in our heads. When a sinner comes to faith in Christ, this was my experience. I'm sure it's been many of your experiences that when a, when a sinner comes to faith in Christ, it's often they have this wonderful trajectory of casting off a lot of garbage in their lives. I mean, sin just sin just goes flying, and it there's there's a, a release of of so much stuff as people cast themselves upon Christ. But and we experience a, a wonderful growth and and an increase in personal holiness. I hope that's been your experience, an experience of people that you've seen and witnessed around you as they come to faith in Christ. But the universal temptation is to, at some point, to transfer our faith and our identity as a child of God, our confidence as a child and identity as a child of God from Christ onto that subjective experience. everybody faces that temptation. I call it treadmill religion and it's awful. it'll wreck you. I've been on it. you know what treadmill religion is like it's like I'm gonna do it. I'm determined I'm gonna I'm gonna be better. And you go for a while and you, and you fail. And at that moment of failure, we reach a juncture, a, a, a path in the road. Where are you going to hang your cap? How big are you going to allow your Christ to be? Or are you going to make a Christ out of something else? What I mean by making a Christ out of something else, and something that becomes the object of our trust. If I could just surrender more, if I could just repent more, if I could just obey more. Solus Christus, the trust in Christ alone, is all about the substance of our religion. It's all about what makes us holy. Holy that substance has an evidence it's what becomes of our life in the growth in the what they call the scriptures called the old word the mortification the, the, the killing of our sin where where God gives us a spirit and he enables us to 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 live a life in increasing holiness but don't ever take the evidence and make it the substance and don't ever take the substance and think that you can have it without the evidence. In other words, don't ever try to be justified by your sanctification. It'll wreck you. Believe, look to Christ. Otherwise it will drive you to pride. See, this is the broken fruit. You ever, (laughs) I mean, do we have pride anywhere in, in religious circles? My goodness. And it's not just a matter of saying, you know what? We need to be more humble. We really need to deal with our pride. We need, to, we, need to, we need to put that aside. No, we need a real path to truly lay aside all that is in us, that looks within for sainthood. And pride drives us to create a God we've created a God in our head who is who's okay somehow with our performance. That's what pride does. Or we despair. We're full of insecurities and fear, and we despair. And we create a God who, who is elusive, who, who is distant, who stands back and folds his hands and says, do your best. But either way, through pride or despair, we've created a God in our own heads. And the devil doesn't care which because both have substituted Christ as the object of faith it's like an electrical current I I don't like to test electrical currents it hurts but you don't have to move the switch far from the current in order for there to be no current anymore and so our faith must look entirely directly upon Christ not Christ plus anything The apostle says that if it by works that we could be justified, then Christ died for nothing. You see, growth in personal holiness is is all about learning by God's strength and God's wisdom to, to live in the light of realities that are already true. I hope you know that. And that by living in light of those realities, though, don't themselves create the reality. It's by faith, and faith alone. Look to Christ. You know, it's the greatest subject that I ever, ever talk to people about. Whenever I'm talking to somebody, and all of the stuff that goes on in our lives, this is something that I'm always getting around to. Who are you, and why do you think you're the person that you think you are? It's the ultimate question for all of us to be asking as we make our way in life and so i hope you can see finally that it's that it's obvious that this this gospel reality of sainthood prepares for prepares us for a life that we can be real with people there's liberty there's freedom we're We're laying hold of something, you know, a couple of words that really helped me over the years. I don't know if they'll help you, but when, when I heard these words, the light just went on in my head. It's the difference between infused and imparted. Christ imparts. He gives righteousness. He doesn't infuse it in us. The gospel should help us when it's obvious sometimes that we have very limited capacities for intimacy for honesty for trust in our relationships in our friendships in our marriages my goodness this is such a huge issue for marriages if we're trying to be something we aren't gospel marriages need to get to the core of this will you love me for who i really am or am i going to have to pretend for you Marriage is a wonderful thing when it demonstrates things that can be abstract to us. It needs to be that. And it sounds really pious to say that, well, I'm trying to be a good person who, who's moral and, and good enough to live by reputation, but it actually creates very fake people and leads to awful dysfunction and pretending. That's the irony of religion, isn't it? Gone bad. Of people who can't be real people are always so concerned about their reputation so concerned for the external so concerned even in the presence of God and insecure in God's presence that they have to pretend every chance I get I tell parents to remind parents that their their children don't learn the theology that you speak so much as they learn the theology that you live And you're living your theology, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your friendships, in your character, in your truthfulness, in your honesty, in your vulnerability, your identity. Do you want your children to know that Jesus loves them? Then let the love of Jesus transform you into the vulnerability of honesty and realness, transparency. He loves the person that you really are. Jesus loves us. He loves us as we really are, not as we wish we were or as we someday think that we might be. He loves us as we are. Get used to it. <laughs> get used to it. as part of the issue, right? We have got to get over that. I don't want to be the person that I am. <laughs> but that's the very person Jesus loves. See, sainthood isn't just an idea for the religious compartment of, of, our, of our head, right? It, it, and this is, I don't know, I don't want to use psychological language, but, but it describes a, something that's true of, of human nature. I see it all the time. I see it in my, own, in my own self. It was true in the days of Rome. Luther tried to deal with it, this, this religious compartment. And I, if I agree with what the church says, if I believe what the pastor says, then, then things are good between me and God. And every other compartment of their life is a mess. The gospel reality that is declared busts down all of the doors because it, it deals with that core, basic identity. Who am I and how did I ever get to be this? See, sainthood isn't ours to manage. It's not our reputation that we manage. It doesn't change with our feelings. It, it simply is. Christ is as the sole object of our faith, by grace alone, of course, determined by the kindness and the mercy of God revealed in the Scriptures alone. We wouldn't know this stuff otherwise if it weren't for the authority of Scripture, something God breathed, all for the glory of God alone. We'll get to that next week. Looking forward to that. It's not about us. It's not about us getting glory. So, in conclusion, I'd like to read Proverbs 1624. Gracious words are a honeycomb. The gospel are gracious words. You'll never hear words like this anywhere else in the world. They're such gracious words. I love you, and I give you all that is necessary in order that you, sealed by the Holy Spirit, given the spirit of adoption, can look to me and say, Father. Those are gracious words, and they're, they're like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Wouldn't you like a, a sweetened soul? Wouldn't you like a, a healthy body? The, the kind of soul and body that is, is liberated from all of the things that, that wreck havoc upon our minds and our bodies and our souls and our spirits and all of the things that, that wreck us? I tell you, this is a huge industry, mental well-being, Spiritual well-being, social well-being, relational well-being. And Christians should be involved in the sciences. They should be involved in psychiatry. They should be involved in psychology. They should be involved in counseling. They should be involved in social issues in our community, helping people relate. But Christians must never lose sight of the fact that all of those things are broken without this single fundamental component of our identity of laying hold of Christ and the hope that we have to be with the Father, all free from our own being. And the the humility, the kindness, the vulnerability, the honesty, that it nurtures in our lives. Jesus says, come to me, you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The psalmist says, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Not in you plus, in you, Lord, plus. In you, O Lord. Notice the solitary nature of it. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame In your righteousness, not not my righteousness, but in your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. A strong fortress to save me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The goal this morning was to not simply impart a doctrinal truth, but to impart a doctrinal truth that would give you joy. That would give you peace. I would turn your face to the Lord and say, "Thank you, Jesus." Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, lift our eyes. I pray, in all of the paths in which we call are called to live in and to walk in. I pray that that you would save us from unbelief. Lord, help our unbelief in ways that we don't even recognize it. Make Christ big to us. I pray that He would be glorious. Help us as a church, Lord, to bear the fruit, the proper fruit that Israel did not have. It had all the signs, it had all the truth, it had all the declarations, and yet its heart was like stone. Lord, use these truths, I pray, not to just give us cognitive ideas, but to transform our hearts. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.